Ephesians chapter 5, picking up where we left off last time. Coming towards the end of the book. Last time we were talking about worship and and the various aspects of worship, verses 19 through 20. And I believe we ended by reading verse 21. 21 is a segue into the the rest of the text that we're going to be looking at uh, tonight. I'm going to talk to you tonight about being a Christian at home. Being a Christian at home. And I want to say to you that if if you are married, you need this Bible study. Regardless of how long you've been married, how short you've been married, if you're married, you need this Bible study. If you're about to be married, you need this Bible study. If you're divorced and thinking one day, perhaps, you need this Bible study. And so, Ephesians chapter 5, we want to talk about being a Christian at home. I want you to pray with me before we get started. And and as we pray, let me uh, announce that uh, we've collected, you say 23 or 25? 23? Around $2,300 so far for the car for Kelsey. And the car's still out there, the window's lowered, so go ahead and put some some money through that window, and we'll be collecting again next Sunday, uh, unless you go ahead and take care of it tonight, okay? So, but that's, it's available out there, and you can certainly drop something off in there as you're leaving uh, tonight. Thank you for what you're giving. Make it a difference for one, one of our missionaries. I, I, I think I said this last week, I'm not sure I said it this morning, that Kelsey is driving or riding a bus an hour each way to go to work every day, and has done that. How long has she been in Costa Rica? Oh, two and a half years now. She's been without a car. Two and a half years riding the bus. And, uh, okay, to, to get there. And, you know, for, for me as a daddy, because I've got a daughter her age, for me as a daddy, this, it's just a safety issue, uh, not just a convenience thing. You know, it's the rainy season. That's never convenient. But just the safety issue. Uh, so I, I thank you on her behalf for helping us help them get a car for for Miss Kelsey. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, you've been good to us already today, and we have seen your hand of blessing in our church and in our families and in our lives. Sometimes we won't recognize that. We just take it for granted. Uh, But Lord, you are so good. So loving. And you have often provided things that we just we just take for granted. Our health, the well-being of our family, the home that we live in, the food that we eat, the clean water that we drink. And then your presence. You're not confined to heaven, but you're the God who is with us where we are. And when we're at our darkest, deepest times, when we go through a desert time, we especially find your presence because you come and find us. So God, we just want to pause as a church body to praise your name and thank you. I offer you our gratitude. I offer you our praise. And I bring before you now this text. Asking, Lord, that you would give us new insight. This will be a text that many of us, most of us, maybe all of us have read. Many of us, most of us probably are pretty familiar with what it says. Whether we like it or not, we're familiar with what it says. But I want to pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit tonight, You'd speak to us individually, directly. Not by the words of this pastor, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. And by the power of your Holy Word. So may you be our teacher, and may you be our guide. And we bless you, and we praise you, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I'd like to take a quick survey, if I might, as we talk tonight about being a Christian at home. It's going to be a true-false question. 
You can't fail the test. It's just a true false question. True or false, the home is the place where our Christian faith is tested the most. True? Why do you say it's true? Say it a little louder. <laughs> All right, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> I believe the home is the place where our Christian faith meets its most severe test, uh, without doubt. You see, when you are away from the public eye, when you're away from public opinion, uh, when you're in the privacy of your own home and the door is closed behind you, and no one else is there to see. When you can let your hair down and just be yourself. When you're stressed and worried. When it's just you and your family that you are so familiar with. It's there that your Christianity is often tested the most. In tonight's text, Paul's thesis is this. That when you are saved... The effects of your salvation should not be limited to your individual life. But when you were saved, the effects of your salvation should carry over into every relationship that you have, even the relationships in your home. Or maybe we should say it this way, especially the relationships in your home. Tonight you have a hope and outline, and on the back of that outline there's a responsive reading. I want you to get that out. We're going to read our text together in a little bit of a unique way as we do this responsive reading together. As you'll see, everyone will read verse 21. Then ladies, without prompting, you go ahead and jump in, beginning at verse 22. Men, you jump in with me at verse 25, and then everyone together at verse 32. All right? So read it out loud. Don't whisper. Not You know, let's just uh, participate in this responsive reading. Uh, together everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ husbands love your wives This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Thank you for participating in that. Those are words that are familiar to most, maybe all of us. But they're also words that many people consider to be archaic. They are words that many people consider to be out of date. Words that many people consider to be not relevant, not to our enlightened society. My response to that is plain and simple. God's plan for the home is timeless. And God's plan for the home is vitally important. I really believe that when it is ignored or neglected, then families are at risk. When God's plan is ignored or neglected, then marriages are at risk. You risk being far less than God intended it to be. Or you risk even more. You may risk the fact that your marriage or home may not make it. Serious family problems sometimes happen when we substitute man's plan for God's divine plan. 
You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And sometimes when we read God's plan, we think, no, I think I've got a better idea. No, I, th- I think it ought to work this way. No, I think, well, folks, that's the reason we got into sin problems to begin with, because Adam and Eve said, you know what, I think that looks good. And whenever you substitute man's ideas for God's idea, man's plan for God's plan, then you are certainly walking into trouble. So tonight we're going to focus on the role of the woman and the wife, and we're going to focus on the role of the husband and the man. And we'll be discussing, go ahead and say it, we'll be discussing the S word, submission. Now, when I was thinking about this, preparing for this, I I was reminded, the Lord just brought it to my attention, that the very last wedding that I did at Crestview Baptist Church, uh, I left there in, in, uh, I guess it was July of 1996. The last wedding that I did at Crestview was for a young lady that I had watched grow up in the church. Just like here, I've watched so many ladies grow up in the church. Little girls grow up and get married and and I had watched this young lady grow up in the church. I loved her. I loved the guy she was marrying. I had been their pastor for many, many years. I loved their family. Their family was so precious to me, so close to me. And so it caught me off guard when she said in a counseling session, or, or maybe it was before the counseling session. I, in fact, I believe it was her and her aunt who was very close to me. They came to me and said, now Keith... We want you to take that submission stuff out of the wedding ceremony. And they were serious. And this is my last wedding before I left. I think I'd already announced that I was leaving. I'm not sure about that. It's been a long time ago. It's hard to remember. But, but they said clearly, we want you to take that S word. We want you to take that submission stuff out of the wedding ceremony. To which I said, you need to get somebody else to do your wedding. And that's how strongly I believe in this. I loved that girl, but I was not going to do her wedding if she wanted to take that word out of the ceremony. I did the ceremony, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Uh, And we use the word too, by the way. Verse 21 sets the stage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here he's not talking just to men and he's not talking just to women. He's not talking just to husbands. He's not talking just to wives. He's talking to Christians in general. A good general statement for all Christians. Submit to one another. But notice the second half of the verse. What's the second half of the verse say? Out of reverence for Christ. I believe it really refers back to chapter 5 verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Part of being filled with the Spirit is a willingness to submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ, out of reverence for who you call your Savior. And so there's this mutual submission to one another because of you've been filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul then moves from a general principle of submission for all believers to very specific instructions for wives. So you got your notes, just follow along as we go. First of all, there's the challenge for wives in verses 22 through 24. Follow along as I <clears throat> read it again. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands, or some translations say to your own husbands. In other words, wives, you don't have to submit to every man, but there is one man you need to submit to. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, don't just submit to him because he's your husband, but submit to him as if you're submitting to the Lord Jesus. You're you're answering, in other words, ladies, he's saying you're answering to a higher authority than your husband. You're answering to the Lord Jesus. Now, I need to quit speaking, teaching, I need to read, and then we'll go back to teach. All right, so here's what he says, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to their husbands in everything. Now, let me, you've got your notes there. Let me tell you, first of all, what submission does not mean. 
what it does not mean. I've got four things I want you to write down. Submission does not mean, number one, it does not mean you should never state your opinion. Submission does not mean that you have to be quiet, you have to be a little quiet mouse, and don't you ever say anything, and if I ever want your opinion, I'll ask you for it. That is not what he's talking about. That is not the, the way that a husband should treat his wife. It, submission does not mean that your ideas are not important. He is not saying, wives, you don't know anything, so shut up and be quiet, let your husband be in charge. He's not saying that. It is not saying that your ideas are not important. Submission does not mean that you are inferior. In no shape or form are you inferior as a woman. He never, nowhere in the Bible does it indicate anything close to that. Not saying that you are inferior. And number four, it does not mean that you should be a slave. It does, that, and guys, hear this. It does not mean that you should say, you do what I told you to do. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking, that's not submission. That's not what we're talking about. It's not that you should be a slave. What submission does mean is this, and you're going to have to listen carefully. You're going to have to listen through the whole thing, because if you just hear a phrase, and then you start running with that phrase, uh, you're going to miss the, the overall teaching. So let me tell you what it does mean, but listen through the whole explanation. Here's what it does mean. Number one, it means to get in order. Literally, the word means to get in order or to get in your proper rank. It was used as a military term. Get in order or to get in your proper rank. Again, listen to the whole explanation before you take off running somewhere mentally with that. It does not imply inferiority or lower value, but rather a deliberate choice. It implies a deliberate choice. I want to say that one more time. It, apply, or it implies a deliberate choice to get in your proper rank. It means that when a conflict or decision cannot be agreed upon mutually, the husband's decision should be accepted by the wife. Now again, before you start kicking back at that, just listen. <clears throat> Here's the deal. When you say, well, I don't like this term, get in your proper rank. Well, I didn't use the term. God did. Well, who gets to determine the rank? God does. Well, why would God determine the rank like that? Because He's God. Well, I don't like... The then talk to God. But he says, this is the proper rank. Now, now, part of it, you'll see in other scriptures, that the proper rank is, is based on creation. Who did he create first, man or woman? Man. Then he created the woman. And in fact, when Eve messed up, and Eve led us all into sin, oh, me. All right, all right. When Adam and Eve messed up because of ease, no, I'm, when sin entered the world, who did God go to talk to about it? Adam. Read the text literally. It does say, you know, Eve was talking to Satan and she took the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband and he ate it. So literally, Eve was the first to disobey. And then... She gave it to Adam and he ate it. But when God came looking to straighten things out, he didn't go to the woman, he went to Adam. Because God knew the proper rank. Now if you don't like that, that's fine. You can argue with God about it. But that's the proper rank. Now how does that play out in everyday life? I've shared this, this, this story before, but I, or illustration before it. Some of you have heard it, but I'll, I'll share it again. And, and I will tell you how Lisa and I do this. Um, I'm going to take a drink, drop of water for it. <clears throat> Lisa and I talk about everything. I, I mean, 
there's rarely, I, I can't even think of a decision where I made this big decision without co- consulting with her. I, I just can't, I can't think of anything. Now, she may give me a list when I get home, but I can't think of anything where, you know, I just kind of go out and decide this is what we're going to do. We, we just kind of talk about everything. And she has her opinion, and I have my opinion. And we'll both state our opinion. And the, the time probably where, I'm just trying to be as transparent as I can be, the, the time where it's probably where, where we have uh, different opinions over the years has been one of two things, either our children or finances. And as we're talking about our children, how we should handle discipline or how we should handle whatever, I think they should be able to go. Well, I think they shouldn't be able to go. How, you know, those kind of things. Our children and finances are those things where, though we've talked about it, we've got differing opinions. Now, most of the time, I'm gonna be, again, I'm trying to be transparent. Most of the time, I just let her have her way. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, you know. Most of the time, it doesn't matter that, it's not that big of a deal, you know. And it's like, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine, you know. Go ahead, that's fine. Most of the time, guys, listen, it's just a good way to live. I said it this morning, happy wife, happy life. And so most of the time, it's like, honey, if that's what you want, then yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't, I, this is my opinion, that's your opinion, but you know better than I do, and, and so, especially finances, because she does the books. I, I used to bring her a check home and hand it to her, and that's the last time I saw it. I don't even bring it home now, because it's direct deposit, and so, I always go to her, do we have any money? Can I, <laughs> you know, can I go get this? Uh, so, so especially if it's finances, like, honey, you know better than I do, you, so most of the time, I let her have her way. But sometimes, I just really disagree. We have a disagreement about what we need to do. And then Lisa, she said it several, many times over the 31 years or so we've been married. She says, okay, you know what I believe. I understand what you believe. Now it's your responsibility to make the decision. And whatever you decide, this is the hard part. And whatever you decide, I'll support that is submission. That's submission. Submission is not, you do it because I'm in charge and I told you we're going to do it this way. That's not submission. That's me trying to browbeat her. Submission, remember, is a choice. Submission is when she says, you're the husband. God's put you in charge of our family. You make the decision. And she's done that. Quite a few times over the years. And I'll be honest with you again. I hate it when she does it. There's a part of me. Part of me is very proud of her for doing it. And part of me hates it when she does it. Because you know what? Then it's like, man, I've got to make the right decision on this one. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't mess this one up. Because she's, she's put God on me now. You know, she's played the God card. Okay, it's your decision. God's put you in charge. But can I tell you one other thing, then I'm going to go on. I'm going to leave this on. When she does that, when she says, it's your decision, God's made you the leader of the home, I'll support you. When she says that, I can't tell you how that builds me up as a man. When I hear my wife say, God's made you the, God's made you the leader in our home. I can't tell you what that means to me. Ladies, dare to tell your husband that truth. And then dare to live that way. Dare to live like He's the leader in your home. You say, well, what if he's not worth it? If he's not worthy of it? What if he's a jerk? 
Well, what, what if he didn't deserve my respect and he's not acting like the spiritual leader? He'll never act like the spiritual leader so long as you keep nagging and staying in charge. You've got to give him the freedom to be the spiritual leader. And yes, he's going to blow it. Yes, he's going to mess up. And that's when you just get back on your knees and say, God, God, God help us. If I have time, I'll say some more about that at the end. And I just realized I don't have a watch or a clock. Um, my watch band broke. And I think this is fast. What time is it? This is fast, I believe. Thank you, son. <laughs> come here, come here, man. Come here. <clears throat> I want you to see how well-dressed this young man is. <laughs> man, you are sharp. I noticed your dad sent this up here to me, though. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's yours. Oh, Jamie sent it up here. All right. I wondered why it's a little jeweled. It's like, well, I have to talk to Dave. He's <laughs> it's interesting that when Paul was talking about other relationships that we're involved in, he did not use the word submit. He talks about other family-type relationships. I want to show you what I'm talking about. He used a different word in, in chapter 6, verse 1. Talk about another family relationship. This is a relationship of children to parents. Paul said, children, what's the word he used? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In chapter 6, verse 5, talking about slaves, he said, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart. Obedience is based on authority. Hear this. Obedience is based on authority. I'm the dad. You're the kid. You obey. I'm in charge. You're the child. I'm the authority in your life. You do what I say. You obey. Obedience is based on authority. Submission is not based on authority. Submission is based on responsibility. I recognize that you are responsible to God. For being the leader in our family. So I submit to you. There's a huge difference in that. It's based on responsibility. Obedience is demanded. Submission is granted. Two reasons for submission. I believe there's a place on your notes. Two reasons for submission. Number one is the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The Lordship of Christ. Because He's your Lord. This is why you do it. Because He is your Lord. And the second reason for submission is the headship of man. The headship of man. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, His body, for which He is the Savior. <clears throat> Let me quickly, quickly... Go over some excuses for not submitting. I, think, I don't think you have a place for this. You can just relax and listen. Uh, jot down anything that, that is of interest to you. But some excuses for not submitting. Excuses I have heard as a pastor over the years. From ladies who try to explain and rationalize why they cannot or will not submit to their husbands. The first one is this. Submission is degrading. Their excuse is submission is degrading. Women have been influenced by a godless society and organizations like now. And they believe that submission is degrading. Uh, I, I honestly believe, I'm just be as frank as I can, I honestly believe that pride is sometimes the essence of the problem. We look at, ladies look at their marriage, they look at their husband, they look at what a louse he is, and they say, I can do a better job than him. I've got more experience than he does. I have my rights, or this one, I've heard this one, no man is going to tell me what to do. Well, I've got a better question for you. How about God? Would you, would you allow God to tell you what to do? See, it's a lordship issue. It is not an issue of what a man is going to say to you. It is an issue of, is Jesus Lord? And will you live according to his word?
Ladies, whenever you do the Father's will, can I say this to you? Whenever you do the Father's will and live according to the Bible, it is never degrading. The church recognizes Jesus as the leader of the church, and wives need to recognize their husbands as the spiritual leader in their home. Another excuse is this one. He doesn't do what he should. He doesn't act like a leader. He doesn't love me like Christ loved the church. He doesn't do his part. Why should I do my part? I would just ask you to read the text and show me a conditional phrase in there. Read the text and show me if there's an exemption clause. Read the text and show me where God says, Ladies, submit to your husbands if he's doing his part. Submit to your husbands if he is worthy of your submission. You, you don't find it there. It is not conditional. The third excuse that I've heard is this. They fear their husband's response. He won't take my feelings into consideration. He, he, he will make a doormat out of me. He'll make me his slave. He won't do a good job. He's too irresponsible. And you know all kinds of things like that. So how do you deal with this? Let me give you four practical pieces of advice. Again, I don't think there's a fill-in-the-blank here, but you might want to jot down one or two of them if it registers with you. Four practical pieces of advice, ladies, and then we're going to move on to the men. Suggestion number one, don't announce it, just do it. Don't announce it, just do it. I don't want you to go home and say, I heard what Keith said tonight. And you know how I feel about this. But I'm going to try. And you better not mess up. Don't announce it. Just do it. I'm going to tell you something. He'll notice it eventually. He'll notice it eventually. He'll notice the difference in your spirit. He'll notice the difference in the way you treat him. He will notice respect coming from your voice, whether it comes from your heart or not. He'll notice. Suggestion number two. Submit yourself to Christ and let Jesus be Lord of your life. And here's what I mean by that. You're doing it because of Jesus. And you can't change your husband. But you can change you. You can change you, ladies. You'll never change him. You can change you. Start there. Number three. Try to work together. Try to work together. That's what I alluded to. Lisa and I, we try to do that. And I joke about it, but it's always, we, we try to work together. It's just common sense, but it helps if we'll just try to work together and talk about it together. Number four, trust God to honor His Word. Live by faith, not by reason. Trust God to honor His Word. God, I'm going to trust that you'll do this. And even if I don't see immediate results, I'm, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to live by your Word. And, and I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to grow my relationship with you. All right, that's the challenge to women. Now, Paul moves on to challenge the men. Number two on your outlines. And all the women said amen, and all the husbands said oh me. Challenge to husbands is in verses 25 through 33. Men, listen up. We're going to talk about the S word again. Except that the S word for you is not submission. The S word for you is sacrifice. Notice that Paul had much more to say to the husbands than to the wives. In fact, if you count it out, there are three verses for women and nine verses for men. Why did Paul have so much more to say to the husbands than the wives? Huh? Because if you ever want to tell a man something, you've got to tell him over and over and over. Before they get it. So Paul said three verses to the women. Ladies, we, we know you note, you're note takers. We, you know, we, we know that you're very committed and you're, 
Here's three verses. Now try to go live it. To the men, three, six, nine different verses about men. This is how you to treat your wife. Guys, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. In some, ways we, in some ways, we have the harder task. Because Paul set a very high standard for us. Uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And here's the standard. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, I, I don't know of a higher standard than that one that we're to live up to. Now, let, let me give you a little historical context. In this day in which Paul was writing, what Paul wrote was radical. When Paul wrote to these people, love your wives, that was a radical, unbelievable concept for most men. You see, in that day, men were dictators, and wives were nothing more than physical property. Literally, wives were just your personal possession, your personal property, and men were the dictators. Paul lifted married life to the highest level possible when Paul said, Men, I've got a word for you too. The word that I have for you is to love your wives. In our day, in 2014, we would say, Well, duh, of course. But in Paul's day, the audience, when they heard Paul say, Men, love your wife. Wait a minute, what do you mean love our Use your wife, we could get that one. But that's not what he said. He said, love your wife. They probably looked around on each other like, what is he talking about? Paul says, your relationship with, with your wife should resemble the loving relationship that Christ has for his church. So how does that work out in daily life? Well, there's three things here that I'm going to take a little time to talk about. Number one, because, because of your love, first of all, men should make sacrifices for your wife. Make sacrifices for your wife. Verse 25, look at it. Guys, listen carefully. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and, and gave himself up for her. Hey, guys, I've got to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud and be careful because your wife may just elbow you in the next 30 seconds. When was the last time, man? I'm serious. I'm not trying to make a joke. When was the last time you gave up something for your wife? When was the last time you sacrificed something for her? And I, I mean a real sacrifice. It says, even like Christ sacrificed himself for the church. I'm not saying that you sacrificed what you really wanted out back, but you settled on Longhorn. I'm not talking about that sacrifice. Well, well I let her have her way, just like the preacher said. Just let her have her way. I, I, we went to Longhorn instead of out back. I'm talking, when was the last time you really sacrificed? You made a sacrifice for her benefit. Not begrudgingly. Not because you had to. When was the last time you gave up something for her benefit? That's a hard question for me too. It's a good question to think about though. It's a very good question to think about. Because of our love for our wives, we should make sacrifices. You see, we say that we love our wives, but do we show that love through our sacrifice? That's how Christ loved the church. He didn't just say that he loved the church. He showed his love through his sacrifice. Husbands, sometimes you have to put what's best for your marriage ahead of what you want. Somebody needed to hear that. Sometimes you have to put what's best for your marriage ahead of what you want. Now, I'm really tempted to name a lot of different ideas here. But then you're just going to get off thinking, I'm, I'm going to lose you. But guys, Guys, sometimes you, you, you've got you've to check your priorities. Sometimes. Can we just talk man-to-man? -man? Let's just talk like the, act like the women aren't here. Sometimes you just got to 
you just got to take stock of your priorities and tell me what's really important to you. 10, 15, 20 years from now, who's going to care what your golf score is? 10, 15 years from now, who's going to care what kind of truck you're driving? 10 or 15 years from now, who's going to care that you put in extra hours at the office? Sometimes you just got to take stock of what is a real priority in my life. And if you have to make the hard choice, sacrifice for your woman. And for your family. And by the way, do you know what that says to your wife when you do that? Can I tell you what it says to your wife? It says in words louder than you can imagine, I love you. I love you. You see, our love, guys, is not to be a demanding love. Our love is to be a giving love. See, God set this thing up. I mean, the way God set it up, I mean, it's almost like He's really God or something. I mean, God set this thing up. Just think about it. If women will love their husbands and submit to them, and men would love their wives and sacrifice for them, just think of how that works together. Our love should not be a demanding love. It should be a a giving love. So number two for men, second challenge, because of your love, you should cherish your wife. You should cherish your wife. Verse 28, Paul says this. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. (laughs) You know what this is talking about? It's talking about guarding against neglect. Guarding against neglect. You don't neglect your body, generally speaking. You take care of your body. I make very sure my body gets Pepsi on a regular basis. In fact, I texted my wife the other night and I said, Honey, I feel awful. I was at work. I was at church working late one night. I said, I feel awful. I'm aching. Take the Pepsi out of the refrigerator. I'm going to stop drinking this stuff for 48 hours. I've got to detox my body. Did I not do that? Did I make it to 48 hours? I did not. (laughs) But you see, I was trying to take care of my body. Men, we're inclined to do that, aren't we? We are inclined to take care of our bodies and not neglect them. Paul says that you need to take care of your wife like that too. Wife told a counselor what she wanted from her husband. Listen to this, guys. And I quote, she said, I'd like for my husband to look at me first when he gets home before he turns to his hobby. I'd like for my husband to say he loved me in front of someone else. And I would like for my husband to kiss me somewhere than other in the bedroom. You know what she was saying? I don't feel very important in his world. One lady advertised in a newspaper for a husband and she received scores of replies from women who said, you can have mine. Let me go to the third one. Third challenge for men. Because of your love for your wife, men, be committed to your wife. He says in verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. One flesh. The most important, exclusive relationship you can have on earth. I'm looking at, at Emily and Eric. Uh, they're going to be coming to me before too long. They're getting married. They're going to be coming for premarital counseling. And this is one of the verses that we look at. We, we, we get in Genesis and it's also in Ephesians. In Old Testament and the New Testament. It says the same thing. That the husband will leave his wife. Leave, I'm sorry. Leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. I need a Pepsi. (laughs) That's what happens when I try to detox from Pepsi. (laughs) 
Ron will counsel with you. It says a husband, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. And the two become one flesh. What I usually say in the premarital counseling is something like this. That's the most exclusive, important relationship you'll ever have. You'll never have, or you should never have, that kind of relationship with anybody else. There's no other relationship like that one. By God's design, it's, it's a unique relationship where you leave the, the, the people you've known all your life. You leave the people that you've grown up with. You leave your home to go unite with another person. Establish a new home. You're sexually intimate with that individual. You have a relationship with that individual that you don't have with anybody else your entire life. That's God's design. A special, unique relationship. And what I say in the premarital counseling, and most times they don't get it until later, probably on in life, is this. That means you're more committed to the spouse, to your wife, to your husband. You're more committed to them than you are to anybody else in all the world. You're more committed to them than you are even to your own children. I am more committed to my wife than I am to Kelly, Lauren, or Jonathan. Now, if you know me any time at all, you know I love Kelly, Lauren, and Jonathan. I, I just, I don't know that you could love him in, that I could love them any more than I do. But I'm going to tell, tell you what, Kelly, Lauren, and Jonathan are moving out of my house eventually. <laughs> She's still going to be there when they leave. And one of the reasons we have marriage problems is because we get too connected, too attached to our little, our little boy. He's mama's boy. Our, our little daughter, that's daddy's girl. And there's nothing wrong with mama's boys and daddy's girls so long as mom and daddy know they're still number one. One flesh also means this. One flesh means I will never be closer to anybody physically or emotionally than I am to my spouse. She is the most important person in my life. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, she is the most important person in my life. Bar none. But guys, somewhere along the way, you've got to communicate that to your wife. And listen to this, and not just with your words. Not just with your words. One lady said, my husband speaks three languages. Baseball, football, basketball. Men, would you speak another language? Nothing wrong with those three, but you might want to add another language. The language of sacrifice. Let's just pray. Before I pray, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just spend time talking to the Lord? I believe He's talked to some of you. Something in the Word tonight has spoken to your heart. Maybe you've got a challenge when you go home. Maybe you understand what you need to do differently. Maybe you need to go say, I'm sorry. Or maybe you just need to talk to the Lord and commit your life and your marriage to Him. Just do that right now. Listen to the word with your head bowed. <clears throat> this is a profound mystery for, but I am talking about Christ and the church.
However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I'm going to pray, and then I want to show you a book, and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for your word that is so practical, so powerful, so personal. A word that can speak to each of us in different ways. And a word that that will really help us if we'll live by your design. Lord, the world around us tries to encourage us to live according to their standards. May we live according to your standard. Both as men and as women. May we live according to your standard. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I want to tell you about a book. The last verse that I read, verse 33, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The one book that I have recommended more than any other book in pastoral ministry is this one. It's called Love and Respect. The love she desires most, the respect he desperately needs. The premise of the book is this. That women desire love. Genuine love. Not love in the bedroom, but genuine love. Men desire respect. And he talks in this book about a crazy cycle. The crazy cycle is basically this. If you're not going to give me the respect I want, I'm not going to give you the love you want. And if you don't give me the love I want, I'm not going to give you the respect you want. And it's a crazy cycle. I require all of the premarital counseling folks to go through this book. Uh... when, When people come to me for other counseling, I often hand them this book. I would suggest that you buy a copy or this is a loaner copy. I'll loan it to you if you want to come pick it up tonight. Love and respect. The love she desires most and the respect he desperately needs. God has designed the man to respond and need respect. God has designed the woman to respond to and need love. It's right there in chapter 5, verse 33. So, if you want a good read, actually, I'll be honest with you, first time I read it, I thought it was pretty boring. Second time I read it, I thought, this is genius. So, the first time, I must have just been in a bad mood. I don't know. But if you want, if you want something to be very helpful, Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egerich. All right? God bless you. You're dismissed.